Building Men is brought to you by Finish the Race Apparel, ftrapparel.com, the creators of all things Building Men, and by Become Stronger Industries, become-stronger.com, the creators of handmade steel maces, hammers, and other badass equipment. And fear in general, right? And it becomes loaded because it could be fear of judgment. It could be fear of failure. It could be fear of success. But just the general unhealthy relationship with, with fear um, is, I believe, one of the, the biggest barriers with, with, with young men in particular. You're listening to the Building Men Podcast with Dennis and Anthony Miralda, brothers on a mission to help you become the strongest version of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. All right, welcome to the Building Men Podcast. What's up, brother? Hey, bro. It's been a while. It's been a minute since we've been in studio. Good to see you again. I know. It feels good. I got to adjust the cameras here, but I, f- I feel good. This feels, you know, I forgot my headphones. I was late. I almost ran out of gas on the way here. So typical, typical Just Tuesday. me being me. Just I want to make sure you, on a, yeah, on a Tuesday. that's right. I don't want to confuse you with me being uh, on time and prepared, prepared for anything, <laughs> showing up disheveled. Yeah. So let me ask you this question then. Based on your response right there, you were mm. unprepared, all this shit. You, you came in all stressed out because the directions mm. took you in a different, to a different, a different studio, direction. different <laughs> studio. Were you always like this? And I know the answer, but I'm asking you to, to re- do you feel like you were always this, you were behind the eight ball a little bit unprepared, like you're always kind of chasing it? Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I feel like I was like, it was almost like I was like, self-sabotaging as I'm going through like I'm just like freaking out about something and all of a sudden I just my mind just loses focus and then I'm just not I end up being unprepared because I'm trying to prep for something like when I would go to school and I would check all my books and everything and then be late to school and then that would call it's just a anxiety sandwich that I have going right and it wasn't a flow it wasn't this flow state because I remember you doing the the book bag check Mm -hmm. it was like you would do I have my book? Do I have my notebook? Do I have my homework? Do I have my book back? And you would like check and then you would like zip it up and then you would go. I would have do to check it again. on the way down the driveway. And as the bus is coming, I would be checking my bag and that would be the 10th time that I checked. I mean, it was a form of OCD. That Absolutely. I had, like pretty severe at some points, you know. And the worst part was, is that we would make fun of you for it. Instead well, of like every... helping you get treatment. Or, oh, like, yeah. Oh, no, oh. it was just like, Haha, look at Anthony. He's such a wacko. Like, what is wrong with him? Oh, my God. Or we would, you would check your shit and then we would take out like a paper. Yep. And so you yeah. couldn't find the paper. Because my biggest fear growing up was not having my homework or not doing well in school or not, you know, getting a bad grade or getting um, a detention or whatever they, they called it, like tutorial or something when I was in school. But that was my biggest fear. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. What ended up happening is I was be late. I wouldn't get there on something would happen because I was hyper focused yeah. on that the whole time. And was there a teacher in your school that was able to help you, mentor you, like bring you along? Like someone was like, hey, come here, buddy. Let me, I can see you're struggling right now. No, 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 there was no teacher like that. I I just, I was panicked. Literally the moment that I stepped into school to the moment that I left from whatever sport, I was high anxiety. Every single, I want to say every second of that day, I was worried and anxious about something. I was in parasympathetic all the time. Or sympathetic, sorry. So you could have used some kind of a spiritual meditative guide at that point in your life as well. Because that, I thought about this today, that one of the other interviews 
uh, was around spirituality and meditation. Meditation was something that there's no way that as a young man, I would ever think about meditating mm-hmm. ever. I would want to beat up someone that meditated, right? right. It was well, just you, like they something. had a label on them, right? Like a person who meditated, they seem like they were this like, you know, hippie who sat Indian style in the woods or something like that. This, this person who was way out there that you don't want to affiliate yourself with. But in reality, if you look at it, it's just being present to your emotions, to what is, to how you're feeling in that time. And it's like, nobody told a kid how to do, I didn't know how to deal with that. I just thought it was all of the external forces around me that were causing me to feel that without checking in with myself. So imagine if you had an educator a movement coach who did yoga, who did meditation all in one spot. Let's bring on <laughs> Tim Lewis to the Building Men podcast. What's up, my man? What's going on, gentlemen? How's it going? It's going well. So that was the longest intro. I wanted to like <laughs> weave into a whole thing. Like, why do we need someone like you in our life? Well, there, there's a reason sitting right next to me right here. That's why we need you in our life right now. So you are, you're an educator, you're a movement coach, you practice yoga and meditation, and you also help young men in the space of adolescence and from middle into high school. Yeah, absolutely. So my, my story really begins from really, really humble beginnings. Um, I was born and raised in Flint, Michigan. And, you know, even that alone is is really kind of loaded. And I didn't realize what that meant until I started to kind of travel out and and go out into the world. You know, I would often see the or experience the reactions that people had when I would just simply say, oh, yeah, I'm from Flint. And they're like, whoa. Or, you know, they would automatically kind of like, you know, get all discomforted. And and so for me, I never knew what that meant, like. I mean, my experience was I had always been surrounded by uh, some of the most amazing and and humble, hardworking people uh, that really set a a strong example for me. And so I appreciate that long introduction, too, because I have three older brothers. So uh, that that banter is is an important piece of, you know, how how we come to be and, and what we grow up to be. So, yeah, definitely. Um, your, your experience then in Flint. So talk to us about you, it was humble beginnings you had mentioned. What was a lesson that you learned in your experience in school growing up in Michigan? You took that lesson and you're using it right now working with, with young men. Oh, definitely. Um, one of the most important lessons that I learned as a youngster growing up in Flint is the importance to, to keep your word. Like when you say you're going to do something, that was everything, right? Um, to say that you were going to uh, join a particular sports team, to say that you were going to uh, meet somebody after school, whatever it was from the very simple things all the way to you know, sort of the more major things. You know, that, that saying of how you do the small things is how you do the big things. And that, that's huge. I, I learned that you know, to be true. And so showing up when, when you say you're gonna show up is one of the lessons that I learned very early on and I mean, it's, I still have to sort of come back to that and remind myself of the importance of that um, and being able to not only embody it for myself, but also to help young people to, to realize the importance of that. So when you learned that lesson, was it a, was it a teacher? Was it a coach? Was it a father figure? Was it your father? Like, who, how did you learn that? Was it someone told it to you or did you learn it by seeing interactions between men keeping their word? I learned it mostly by example, right? So 
um, one of the, the first experiences that really come to my mind is my early years as an athlete, um, I ran track and I was also on the swim team. And in both cases, the coach was also the person who was literally running beside me or swimming, you know, behind me, making sure that I go faster. Um, I, I grew up as um, in a, in Flint, we have a number of, of youth groups, right? And so I grew up in, in a youth group that was really, really instrumental to me. And the, the advisors of this youth group were professionals who would, you know, work all day. And then in the evenings, they commit their time to coming to, to see us, um, make sure that our grades were on point, make sure that, you know, we were, we were showing up and doing community service and things like that. So despite the fact that, you know, they had their own things going on and, and life was happening all around them, they continued to show up always, always. Uh, and so they held us to the same regard. You know, and I can say the same for whether I'm talking about my, my dad, I was very fortunate to, to have my dad in my life, um, even growing up. And so just seeing that commitment over and over, it was really a, a modeling for, for me. So as you look back now, if you were to say, you know, as your middle school, high school years, telling people, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be into yoga and meditation. How does that, how would that conversation sound in Flint, Michigan? <laughs> It, it wouldn't, I mean, at that time, it, it wouldn't land uh, in, a, in a very nice place because even as I, as I reflect on it for myself, I didn't know about yoga, meditation and things like that as I was growing up, especially not in like the traditional sense, right? So um, when we think about something like meditation, it's something that we can bring to whatever it is that we're doing. So it's a, it's a more of a way of being, right? We can eat uh, in a meditative state. We can move in a meditative state. And so, but just to bring it up, especially at, at a time when, when I grew up, it probably wouldn't have landed very well. <laughs> it's interesting because a guy that we had on the podcast, it was last summer. So it was summer of 2021. His name is Brandon Robinson. He wrote a book called, when words won't form my pen speaks and he's a he's a a poet grew up in detroit michigan he grew up in the he's my age he grew up in that bad boy piston era in the in the late 80s early 90s and he said he was he was very empathic he was very creative and he wanted to draw he wanted to be in the play he but he's like i couldn't do that shit He's like, if I walked down the street and told people that I had some poetry I was writing, he's like, I would get fucking beat. He's yeah. like, there was, I wasn't able to experience that portion of myself. So I pushed it down for years and years and years. Do you feel like that was part of who you were? Like that was who you were at the time. You just didn't, you weren't able to express it, or did you have no idea that this was shit that you'd be interested in? You know, it's, it's crazy because as you were sharing that, that resonates with me very much. Uh, because there were definitely things or, or ways of being that I've always been attracted to. Um, but I kind of have a, a different experience where I went into those things, right? And so I recognize where a lot of my actions or, or things that I eventually went into, they were definitely like, you know, potentially frowned upon, but, but I did them anyway. And so those are, when I look back and continue to look at my, my evolution, I recognize those as like really powerful seeds that have been cultivated over time. And I, so I'll give you an example. Um, in elementary school, you know, 
elementary school kids are usually exposed to music and you go into the band room and, you know, they say, oh, what instrument do you want to play? And I didn't have anything that, that really called out to me, but the instrument that I picked is probably one of the most feminine instruments. I picked the clarinet. And when I picked the clarinet, it wasn't that I wanted to be the best clarinet player or anything like that, but, yo, I fell in love with it. And it cultivated a level of discipline because I practiced every single day, like without fail. I practiced the clarinet from like every single day when I would get out of school, I would just play. And so at going home, that didn't step well because like I said, I got three older brothers. So they're like, yo, shut that noise up. What you doing? Like, dude, you're terrible. All these things. But, you know, I, I kept moving with it, kept going. Um, and, and I, I excelled at it, right? I played in youth symphony orchestra. Um, I had, you know, first chair in pretty much every band that I was in. And I don't say this out of conceit because like I said, the discipline and the hard work was there. I also grew up being very much interested in the arts. I started dancing, one of the local dance studios. So here I am, you know, this teenager and I did the whole package, ballet, tap, jazz. And like to be able to show up in that space as you're like kind of coming into the teenage years and you got, you know, little girls who are starting to dance at the age of six and seven in your class and <laughs> to, to stick with it and, and, you know, be in there. So I, I definitely resonate with that. Like there was an attraction to things that were perhaps against the status quo, but even unknowingly at that time, like just going into it really helped me a lot. Yeah, I don't remember a lot of clarinet solos in like Tupac DMX. <laughs> Dr. Dre. There, there wasn't a heavy clarinet influence in no, the, the, 90s the, the, and early 2000s yeah. rap, right? It just, Flint, <laughs> <Flint>, Michigan. <laughs> yeah. I can just imagine, I'm like, so now I'm putting myself in the shoes of your older brother. If you're coming home playing the clarinet, uh, yeah. oh man. And was, I'm practicing and right. practicing. The amount, like, God, you would have tortured me. You would, I could just see it. All in love, though. It would have been loving, of loving and, torture. You know, I wouldn't have known that until right now after you <laughs> love. But that's a form of expression that you were doing, Tim. Like if you think about it, that's how you found a way to express yourself without even realizing it, which is so cool in that and not many people dive into that at a young age. Yeah. And the and the even uh what you were saying about what's his name, Brandon? Yeah, Brandon Robinson. So as as Brandon was talking about putting a pen to paper, that was another form of expression for me that really like just allowed for me to like just dump feelings, emotions, thoughts, um, no matter how insignificant, you know, they may have been. And this was again, back in the time where it wasn't called journaling, you know, it was a diary. Like it was that thing that, that girls had that, you know, they would write at a pajama party and put the little lock on it and things like that. It was a diary, it wasn't journaling. <laughs> No, absolutely. It had like like a fuzzy cover to it, yeah. and there was usually a, like a unicorn. There was a lock, like a heart shaped little lock that goes over the top of it, and it like clicks on. So right next exactly. to your diary, you had your clarinet, and you were ready to go. <laughs> and your ballet slippers. Yes. And your, are they still Already. called? Are they yeah. called? What are they called? The the shoes. What are the are they ballet slippers? What are they called? I, mean, I don't want to put you on the spot here. I, I mean, I mean, I imagine they're just ballet shoes, but right. <laughs> so, the, so, so the ballet fell off a little early. And what stuck with me, though, was uh, tap dance. I kept tap dancing for many, many years. 
Um, and so again, one of those powerful just outlets and expressions um, to be able to like express myself, meet people, travel, all the things. Who was the guy? Who was the, the tap dancing dude? Uh, was it Gregory Hines? He, he's definitely one of them. That was, that's the guy that I think about. So it was like, like an older black dude that was a fucking unbelievable tap dancer. I, I don't, my knowledge of tap dancing is not what it should be self-admittedly. <laughs> I, I've, 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 you know, I haven't, besides Gregory Hines, he's the only one that I, that I know that really got into tap. I don't know. Um, I don't have any knowledge. None of it. So, yeah. so a little yeah, bit more yeah, knowledge. All good. So, so who are your, your mentors or role models? Not just, you know, in the tap dance space, but you're growing up in, in Flint, you're, you have this creative side. You have this movement side. Who were the, the who were your role models? Who did you look up to? It didn't necessarily have to be them. It could have been fucking you know Joe Dumars or Isaiah Thomas at the time. But who were the guys that you looked up to? Uh, well, I mean, one of my earliest mentors were um, the the group of men that that managed the the youth group that I was a part of. So I was a part of a, a youth group called the Alpha Esquires, and it was sponsored by um, the Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And so there were the guys from the, the local chapter who would actually come and, you know, like I said, they would literally check our grades. They would just have different programs for us. They would talk to us about uh, mental health. They would talk to us about sexual responsibility. And they would talk to us about just responsibility in general. And so um, those guys were really, really strong influences for me because it really started to create kind of like this, a healthy hierarchy, right? So we had the mentors who were uh, older gentlemen who were professionals. And then we had the younger guys who were uh, undergraduates or grad students uh, throughout the local community. And then we had the older members of the organization. And so it really started to kind of create this, uh, like I said, a, a healthy hierarchy where we always had somebody to, to look up to kind of literally and figuratively. Think about it. We had uh, Mike DeSantion, Michael DeSantion, and he talks about we need three men in our lives. We need the mentor role, that sage advisor that will guide us along on our journey. We need the guys that are in the same track that we are, that are going through the trenches at the same time that we could be like, bro, I'm having a really fucking tough time today. And then we need the the younger man that we can mentor, that we can help pull up. So when, when you have that broad experience of the guy you're looking up to, the guy that you're going through it with, and the one that you're helping pull up, as a man, that's a full experience and you could have all those needs met. So all the credit to the, to the Alpha Esquires, even talking about mental health in a time where that wasn't the norm. I mean, now we recognize the mm. importance of taking care of our mental health. But back then, it wasn't something that we thought about. Just as, you know, thinking about growing up in that time, like it wasn't like thinking about yoga, thinking about meditation, th that wasn't something that was on our minds that we would think about. It, mental health was not something you were, you were considered weak. I remember thinking if someone's going to a, to a therapist, it was like, what are you fucking crazy? Right. Like right. there's something wrong with that person. Now it's so celebrated because you're taking the concerted effort to take care of your mental health. When did you make the decision to go into education? Was it your experience with these these men as mentors in your life? You're like, wow, this is something I really want to do is help bring the next generation along. Or was there another spot in your life that you were you gravitated towards becoming an educator? Yeah, so me going into education, like officially, it happened at a time where I was literally starting over. I had 
uh, started a graduate program at, at the University of Chicago. And, you know, I really liked the work that I was doing, but the quality of life was, for me, it was trash, right? Because like I said, I had all these other things that I was interested in. I had been a dancer, this, that, the other. And then all of a sudden I was like, you know, stuck literally in the laboratory for 12 to 14 hours a day and I couldn't do anything. And so I didn't do very well. Uh, and so between not being happy, not doing well and making the conscious decision to walk away, um, I traveled. I went and I did an international exchange program, had the opportunity to travel through 25 different cities over a six month period. Um, and so that really started to kind of spark not only the curiosity, but really just so I could see potential and so when I came back to the, the U.S. after that six months and I was starting over, I started to ask myself, what is it that I've always done that has sort of come naturally to me? And what came up was teaching. At, by this time, I had you know, taught after school programs through grad school and undergrad. I worked at a daycare to make money in undergrad. Um, I taught as a swim coach. And so it was always something with teaching, teaching, teaching. And so I said, you know, what the hell? So I research the uh, teaching fellow programs and I'm looking at different cities of places where I can, you know, kind of see myself settling down a little bit. And so I, I started applying the teaching fellows program. This was in 2010-ish, 2009, 2010. And, and, and so that journey for me was like, I'm, I'm going to open up to it. I'm going to apply to these programs and, you know, see what happens. And so um, that decision was, was made during this time, during this, you know, this transition. What do you think right now is the biggest issue facing education? I know this is a huge, you know, I'm like taking the grenade and throwing it <laughs> right now, but I mean, I have a lot of opinions on, you know, where education is headed, but if you were like, if you could change one thing about education right now, what would it be? Whoa. Yeah. That's a, that's a big one. Um, I would say an, an honest effort towards um, helping everybody to know themselves better and to embrace who they are. Because I think, and the reason I say that is because I think we, I mean, we personally are the filters of our experience, right? So I recognize where as a teacher, you know, having 30 or at this point, um, 35 students who are sitting in a classroom and to, to give them the, the same experience and expect that it's going to land the exact same way is really, it's, it's a disservice, right? And so if, if young people can learn at a very early age um, who they truly are and, and how to embrace the parts of who they are, then it would, I think, change, change the experience of, of the school system completely. Absolutely. And clarinets for everyone. That's right. Everybody <laughs> uh, and a diary. Yeah. Def definitely a diary. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting. So journaling is something that uh, I appreciate you saying the whole diary thing as well, because it is, I remember this is funny story, building men exclusive. Um, when my sister Megan was born, Megan is nine years younger than me. I was in third grade and we had to, in the month of December and January, we had to do a diary. It was part of my third grade curriculum. We had to write in a diary. And I, re I still remember writing it every night. And it was, you know, typically a paragraph or something that I would mm -hmm. write. And I would, you know, it was in script. My penmanship was decent 
you know, it's it still isn't bad. I still, I think I might want to have con- immaculate yeah. penmanship. Let's. <laughs> I might win a contest for for my oh, my Jesus. penmanship. Yeah, um, go on. <laughs> so, I uh, I remember writing it each night. You know, it was December of 1985. I was writing in this this diary every night, and you know what went on. It was like I was during basketball season. The the corny things there. I think mom still has it somewhere, but I still remember on January 5th. I wrote in my journal, um, or my, my diary, diary before I went to bed and then I woke up and I wrote that mom was going through labor. She had contractions. And I still remember I wrote, stop the presses. <laughs> Megan Francis Moralda was born at 9, 19 PM. She was this much weight, like this and that. And I remember like being really happy and going back and reading it but then once that was done i put that away like thank fucking god i never have to do this again put it into some bin and i didn't write in a journal again until i was like 44 years old but it was (laughs) so powerful i wish in school we had that opportunity like let's talk about the importance of writing shit down not not just stream of conscious write down the bad shit write down the good shit really think about it read about it how much you change throughout high school and your thought processes right and what you think matters when you're a freshman versus when you're a senior and the struggles that you go through and being able to look back and be yep. like, wow, that's where I was at in my life at that point. It, it's interesting because in, in building men, my last year, my last years as a principal kids that went through the building men program as eighth graders, I had them sit for one of our, our, our meetings together and they wrote themselves a letter. And then mm-hmm. I gave them a stamp. They had to address to themselves. And then I would mail it to them their senior year in high school. And they bitched about it the whole time. I'm like, what are you thinking about right now? What's important to you? What are you, what's on your mind? And some of them really took it to heart. And then I would mail it to them for their senior year in high school, four years later. And I still remember I would get so many thank you emails and people would call up. Like, I remember hating having done this, but going back and reading this letter to myself, some of it was funny shit, like who they liked and you yeah. know, that kind of stuff or what was really important to them. Um, but other things were like, wow, I, I'm so happy that I did this. And I was like, I wish I would have doubled down on that. Like, let's really talk about journaling and the importance of it right now. So thank you for, for sharing that journaling experience because it is something. If you're listening, if you're a young man listening to this, start writing your shit down. Write those stories down right now. You will thank yourself. Your future self will thank you yeah. for doing that right it now. It doesn't need to be anything scripted. It could just be a brain dump, you know, like you were saying. It could just be you, whatever you're thinking in that moment. Get yep. it out on paper. Get it out of your head. And then get it onto paper because it's, it's a lot more real and it's a lot more tangible that you can look back. At. Building men of character, integrity, strength, compassion, and empathy through transformational mentoring, coaching, and motivational speaking is our mission here at Building Men. To work with me as a one-on-one life coach, you can find information in the show notes or you can visit our website at buildingmen.io where you can book a free 30-minute discovery call to help you become the strongest version of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Now, back to the show. What'd you say? Forgetting the combination to the diary, the lock on That's the diary right. with yeah. the with the unicorn on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what though? Even even uh thinking about what it means, like I mean, to to be a man, for example, like journaling and writing is a really powerful way to to get you know to some of those emotions and it was my even in my first year of teaching I started doing a a protocol um and it's modeled after the artist way have you heard of that book I haven't 
So the artist way is by Julia Cameron. Um, and so she proposes that every single person, regardless of, of who you are, what you do, um, has an inner artist. And that inner artist is often blocked, right? It's often blocked by uh, the conditioning of this is the way that this particular outcome is, should be or various things. And so one of the first things that she proposes is something called morning pages, which literally is a brain dump. First thing in the morning, wake up and put pen to paper, write three pages. So my first year teaching, I didn't grow up again, sort of with this mindset of I'm going to be a teacher and it's going to be amazing. This is what my classroom is going to look like. My experience was more like, here are your keys. This is your room number. Good luck. And so I had a lot of like personal anxieties around like I knew my science, right? I could show up and I could give information. But again, I don't know where that stuff landed. I don't know who was actually receiving anything. And so I had a lot of anxieties around like, am I actually teaching? Like, what am I doing? And so when I started to do morning pages, I would get up in the morning and I would start writing, you know, I'm so tired. I don't know what I'm going to write three pages about. And over time, what happened is that those thoughts and anxieties I had about the day, they would actually come out on paper. So by the time I showed up to school, my shit was gone. It was clear. I had already put everything out there so that whatever happened, I wasn't attached to it. It was like, oh, I already wrote about, you know, not getting through the lesson today. So, oops, there's another one. And so it really, really transformed even my, my own personal experience, you know, into adulthood, professional adulthood. What do you think is the biggest thing that is getting in the way of young men in society right now? So the, the kids that are, that are in your program that you work with on a regular basis, that you teach, that you mentor, that you coach, What's, what's something that's really getting in their way right now? I think fear in general, right? And, and it becomes loaded because it could be fear of judgment. It could be fear of failure. It could be fear of success. But just the general unhealthy relationship with, with fear um, is, I believe, one of the, the biggest barriers with, with, with young men in particular. So in your school right now, are you are where you're? And talk. Well, I want to rewind a little bit. So you, you decided to become an educator. Talk to us about your experience in the public school system, and then transition into what you're doing right now because it's I I think it's an it's a really cool journey, and especially your work trying to help the ne next generation along. So walk us walk us through that path. Yeah. So I started teaching um, in the South Bronx. I taught at a middle school. I taught eighth grade science. And like I said, when I, when I walked into, first of all, when I walked into New York City, I went from Flint to DC to Chicago, and then, you know, moved to, to New York. So my knowledge of what it even meant to be in New York City was minimal. You know, you asked me how many boroughs, it, of course, there was only one. It was all just New York City, right? And it didn't necessarily have a separate name. So when I started teaching in the South Bronx, that was uncharted territory for sure. But the thing that was familiar is that on the surface, you know, every single kid that I saw sitting in the room looked like me. And so that was comforting, right? I could relate to uh, the neighborhood. I could relate to, on, again, on, on surface, sort of the shared experience that we had. But, you know, when I started teaching, I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about 
who I was as, as a person. And so that first year of teaching, I had to completely transform kind of who I was, how I delivered information. Um, and so I taught for five years in, in the South Bronx, middle and high school. And then I transitioned in uh, the last six, seven years of, of my teaching to uh, a pretty large high school in Midtown Manhattan. And so I've had the experience to, to really teach, you know, every single demographic that could potentially exist within uh, this large massive system. And so um, throughout my, my teaching, I had the opportunity to begin some, some mentoring groups, particularly in the South Bronx. I, I found myself gravitating towards who would be considered the more challenging young men in the school. You know, I was, I always found myself on a, you know, on a prep, I couldn't do any academic work because I would go to someone else's classroom and, and take out those five or six boys who just needed, you know, a little TLC. Um, and so what that looked like was really, you know, dependent on, on who the kid was, but I found a lot of, of satisfaction in, and also recognize where, when I consider myself as a, as a success, as an educator, it might've been, you know, that kid who was motivated to come to class. It wasn't necessarily because he got all A's or because he was learning some amazing science. <laughs> it was more like, oh, he came to class for a week straight, cool. <laughs> or, you know, this uh, person who at the beginning of the year had no goals of going to high school and beyond now could see himself, you know, going to high school and at least pursuing something beyond uh, what was right in front of his face. And so over time, you know, I, I recognize at the same time when it comes to kind of my own personal values and starting to dive into them a little bit deeper, I notice where you know, there were all of these sort of personal infractions where I was always faced with sort of this, you know, dilemma of facing my values, facing my personal values alongside the practice of teaching. So, for example, um, using grades, I've always had kind of this reservation about, about using grades as, as a means of, of measuring and monitoring progress. You know, we, we have very loose sort of conversations around that, or at least I know I did as an educator, you know, where I would say like, oh, grades aren't important, but then that's a confusing ass message because for your teacher to say grades aren't important, but then, you know, the expectations of parents and then like society says you get a good grade, you go to college and, you know, all this, all these guarantees. And so I was always conflicted with that. And believe it or not, the last two years of teaching uh, through the pandemic really helped me to kind of see more possibility because there was a point where grades were completely stripped away. And so instead of freaking out, I kind of sat back and I'm like, all right, well, now the gate is wide open and I can be creative. I can offer, you know, learning experiences that, you know, perhaps mean a little bit more. That's not just tied to this, this symbol that this kid is going to take and, you know, potentially destroy them. So I saw these opportunities to, to be a bit more creative. Um, and then at the same time, I recognized where, uh, for me personally, the sort of traditional teaching role of being in a classroom and only doing it that way, that was really starting to strike a nerve with me personally in terms of even my value. And so 
having an opportunity to, to make the conscious decision, the empowered decision to, to resign at the time that I did really served me well because, you know, on the other side of it, it meant that I had the opportunity to explore new things creatively, including ways to educate um, different platforms to use for education, uh, and especially as we enter sort of this time where, where young adults are, are really struggling as well, right? They're kind of on this cusp of a world that they used to know and that they kind of plan for, and then stepping into a reality that looks very, very different amongst a bunch of adults who, I mean, we've never experienced, you know, kind of what the shift that we just experienced. And so it requires the creativity. It requires a bit more of an open mind. And so my approach now is, is really through how can we use education truly as a tool of empowerment and to kind of take off some of the barriers? Because again, like I recognize for myself, the gate, it was, you know, loosely locked or loosely closed, but it wasn't locked. And so seeing that opportunity to kind of be more creative, it, it opened something up inside of me as well. I appreciate that. And think about this too. You were, you were pretty much running a building men program uh, loosely just pulling the kids out of class, like creating this community feel. And it's interesting building men's like it started in Bordentown, New Jersey in 2005, but there were times where, you know, I brought it to a couple different schools and my initial group was the kids that were getting kicked out of the class. They were the ones that were getting suspended as I was meeting with the parents and they're like, well, what can you do for, for my son? Well, funny you should mention that he should join building men because this is an opportunity for him to, to learn in a community environment, the real shit that we should be learning about. And it's this community feel and, you know, I'm leading the, and that's how I got a lot of the, so typically the building men group, it started with the kids that were the ones that were getting tossed out of class and no one wanted to, the teachers didn't want to deal with. So I appreciate you having that opportunity for kids to have a safe space and someone as a mentor to, to go to. And then secondarily, Secondarily, the lessons that you said when, when grades were taken out of it, when you got an opportunity to be creative and, and do your own thing, that's fascinating. And I'm, I'm wondering if, so say budget was not an issue, you know, you didn't have to worry about, oh, I don't have this money through our budget to be able to purchase X, Y, and Z. What is a course that you, you could create that would help young men, you could teach this course to a group of sophomores or juniors or something, and they go through this course and it will be a game changer in their life. Well, what course would you create? I mean, I, I probably have a little bit of a bias here because of, <laughs> of, of my science background, but I, I see biology as that course. Like we are all that, you know what I'm saying? So to be able to, to truly learn, like, like, for example, one of my, uh, deep missions in, in this last year that I was in the classroom. And I, and I said this, I expressed this out loud. Um, so I, I do have some work to do towards this is I wanted to make sure that, that my students walked away with uh, essentially what they could call a personal user's manual. Because when it comes to ourselves, our biology, like there's so much to it, but that it's so loosely understood, even at a very basic level. You know what I mean? So um, and, and it relates very well to, you know, what I recognize as being, at least for me, really important things uh, rele relevant to like my yoga practice, right? Yoga teaches us how to breathe and the importance of it. It teaches us different ways to be in our body. And, and so I think for me, it would be some 
iteration of, of all of those things together, perhaps a course like Know Thyself or something like that. <laughs> I would have bet money you were going tap dancing. <laughs> I would, would have, would have um, so, brother, any final questions before we uh, give? Yeah. So, um, one thing we like to ask all of our guests, and thank you for saying that, because um, it again, it's so important, and I think it relates back to introspection too. Just getting back to knowing yourself, knowing who you are, and the biology is a way to start. Use what you learn in the classroom, but also apply it to everything else in life as well. And also knowing that you're worth more than the grade that's on your paper. That's not what your worth is and getting kids out of that mindset is so important moving forward. But um, again, another little bit of a loaded question. You got asked a bunch of those today, but if there's one thing that you could tell some of the building men audience, people, young men, men in general, listening to this, what's one thing they can do starting tomorrow to kind of kickstart their life, just something, a practice they can start as soon as possible. Um, I think, I think one of the sort of lowest hanging fruits in a way, um, a practice that could definitely be started today is to sit down and take inventory of what you love about yourself. So take a moment and, and literally just make a list. If it's the, the, the clothes that, that you have, if that's a starting place, then start there, but at least starting to shift the mindset to to what you have versus what you don't have or what you lack. Um, I think that's one important thing to just start, you know, starting to, to list what you love about yourself. We'll need another in 45. Deep, in, a deep, in a deep way. <laughs> I, I love the way that I um, have a, like a selfless, way of connecting people to do good in the world like i feel this this level of commitment and responsibility to bringing people together that their connection will provide goodness to the world mm. and and i don't do it in a sense of i'm expecting anything in return from it i i believe that that's it's a an equality about me and i i do love that about myself how about you what bridge you builder think? i love that bridge builder i would say that I love that I am an empath at heart, that I can make people feel heard and feel listened to and give them that space to feel comfortable around me, right? And, it, and it's funny because both of our things that we said are based on others, right? <laughs> right, right. And it really, if you think yeah. about it, like, but, but I also think that relates to, you know, mankind in general is like we are meant to serve and be a part of a community and help other people at heart. So just hearing that. I don't know if we did it wrong or not, but yeah. <laughs> I also like I, I have a good knowledge of '90s rap. I feel like I could sure I could do. bring some 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 good stuff to the table there. Um, I all I need is it. that that strong clarinet in the background. That's it. To, <laughs> You're lacking, to, to bring it. How about you, Tim? What do you oh, love yeah. about you? What do you What do you love about you, Tim? Uh, I love that I'm a naturally curious person. Uh, I'm a seeker, and so you know when I when I approach and, and I see things as, as opportunities to, to learn and grow. And so, so as long as I remain curious, even some of the most sort of difficult or challenging moments for me, I can sort of twist it up to, you know, ask questions. That's a superpower, man. Absolutely. Really. Truly. All right, Tim, where can the building men audience find you? How can we get in touch with you? 
So I am most active on Instagram at the moment, Tim Lou 1110. And um, on my Instagram, I do have a, a landing page, which has a, a link tree to some of the, the offerings that I have in terms of, of meditation and, and journaling, uh, some, some yoga classes that I'll have coming out soon. So you can find us at building.men on Instagram. Buildingmen.io is our website. Buildingmencoach at gmail.com is our little footsies under the table there. Yeah. Nice work. You're really stretching it out, brother. So from the from the empath, the seeker, and the bridge builder, go a step further than you thought you can go. We'll see you next time on Building Men. <laughs>